We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 16, The Miller's Daughter. The air date for this episode was March 10th, 2013. The writer was Jane Espenson, and the director was Ralph Hemmaker. The title card features Rumpelstiltskin's spinning wheel. We begin in the Enchanted Forest, where a miller is snoozing on the job in the back of a cart piled with sacks of flour still waiting to be delivered. His daughter arrives home and wakes him up before berating him for not doing his share of the work because she wants to be able to eat that week. Hey, Rose McGowan's here. She's so pretty. I just want to point out that she is 38 years old. No, 39. Damn. Yeah, right? She looks good. I mean, that doesn't surprise me just because how long I'd been watching her and things before Once Upon a Time. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. But still, girl looks fantastic, especially since she's supposed to be playing like what, like 18? No, she's uh, no, she is supposed to be in her 20s. She is supposed to be out of her teens, but presumably still pretty young because we're going fairy tale heroine and she does not look. No, she looks great. Yeah. Great. And what a perfect young Barbara Hershey cast. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. She's fantastic for oh. young Barbara Hershey. Yeah. 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 Ugh. The Miller's daughter pulls a cart of flour along the road and eventually into a palace courtyard where she sets down the cart and proceeds to haul the heavy sacks of flour by hand. Nearby, courtiers and visiting royalty are enjoying the view. A princess walks beside King Xavier and his son. As the Miller's daughter passes the princess, she is purposely tripped and ends up spilling flour all over the floor. In annoyance, the miller's daughter shouts at the princess for causing the mess, though King Xavier asks if she's all right. The miller's daughter thinks he is asking her, so she begins to answer. But King Xavier states he was referring to the princess. Glancing down at her flower-soiled shoes, the princess expresses unhappiness at how ruined they are. The prince believes the miller's daughter did not mean any harm but the king thinks otherwise. King Xavier tells her they will not pay her for the flower and she must apologize to the princess. When the girl calls the princess a wench, the king is infuriated and corrects her, saying she is an honored guest visiting from a northern kingdom, Princess Eva. Fuck you, man. Now listeners know why I have exactly zero sympathy for Queen Eva in the last episode. Haughty bitch. I love that when King Xavier calls Eva an important woman, Cora just goes, she's a girl. That's why Cora is like in her in her 20s. Yeah, she's definitely more mature than her. Yeah. Also, I feel like you right now, Chell, with earlier this season, because I have future episode stuff I want to talk about so bad, but I can't. So I'll just have to wait until season three. I mean, I have future vision too, Elisa, and I still hate Eva. She is a, she's in here for five seconds and she's an absolute bitch. Mm-hmm. And what we know. <laughs> and what we know. She's still a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like she's yeah. even worse. It makes me wonder like what changed? Maybe I don't snow. think anything. I don't think anything changed. I think we saw her for one hot minute in like a moment where she was kind of nice. And, you know, yeah, she, she had a, a pretty and a well-behaved child. So, you know, she's like those women who only like their own children. Whatever. Okay, that's fine. I don't know. Because she definitely, she showed kindness to Johanna. I so. don't know. Maybe childbirth mellowed her out. I mean, it, it really does change your... Uh, it does. Everything going makes on there. all kinds of different. <laughs> so maybe it really mellowed her out, yeah. It humbled yeah. her. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was uh, being married to King Leopold and she was all like, oh, this guy's terrible. This makes me reassessed everything. This is true. At least Johanna's nice. I want to be nice. I guess I like servants now. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Back to Cora. Back to Cora. She's much much better. Yes. Oh, man. I forgot if the he in this is King Xavier or... That's King Xavier. It's King Xavier. Okay. Henry doesn't really talk until... No, he just stands around being useless as is his want. Yeah, he doesn't talk to the like At least he's pretty. He was pretty when he was young. I know what happened. Yeah, he's much handsomer than I thought he would be. What happened is Cora. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you even had to ask that. That's true. She was a force of nature that he could not handle. He was like a foot taller than her when they got married. And then when you see them in the future, he like comes up to her shoulder. She like literally cut that man down to size. (laughs) 
She like slowly, I don't know, put like a potion in his tea to be like get shorter and like I think he just shrank under the weight of her disdain. (laughs) (laughs) It just like compacted him. Yes, dear. (laughs) He was just tiny, tiny little man. You know who he reminds me of is Droopy. Droopy the dog. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, dear. Yes. (laughs) dear <laughs> i i was actually thinking and it's actually accurate the oh. the disney version of the king of hearts and the king how he's just itty bitty oh yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and it's always just like the queen of hearts and the king and the king, and the king. And he's just a little itty bitty man looking out from behind her skirt he's way too happy like the, that true. little king that little king is way too happy like he loves that big bitch <laughs> oh yeah he, <laughs> he loves he loves his big angry woman mm-hmm he doesn't try to stop her at all. I mean, Henry doesn't really try to stop Cora at all. He he he's he's got like the Willy yeah. Wonka like no don't yeah, no oh, stop don't come back. All right, that's about as far as he gets into trying to stop Cora from doing anything. <laughs> King Xavier asks the Miller's daughter for her name, and she responds, "Cora." He makes her kneel before them and apologize to Eva, or he will end the contract he has with her mill. Cora tersely apologizes. King Xavier orders Cora to stay kneeling until they have passed and glares angrily at the very smug Eva as she walks away with the group of royals. King Xavier is a dickbag and I hate him. And he also gives me the heebie-jeebies. He 9,000% looks like a pervert. <laughs> this is in no way disparaging the actor. It's, it's his presence. It's I his mean, presence. I don't know him personally. I don't know if he's a pervert. We're not saying you're a pervert, sir. Meanwhile, in the land without magic, Neil and Henry steer the Jolly Roger on the ocean while a severely injured Mr. Gold lies in a cabin on the ship. Emma checks on Mr. Gold and says he does not look comfortable. I love you, Emma. (laughs) Thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) She gets it from her dad. Yeah. Yeah. He responds by saying poison rushing to his heart has that effect. Emma quickly changes the subject to his dagger. She asks Mr. Gold about the things Cora and Regina can do with it in their possession. Specifically, if they can make him kill them all. He says yes, and Riley asks Emma if she is hoping he bleeds to death now. As Gold is Henry's grandfather, Emma recognizes him as family and quietly declares that she is going to save him. Mr. Gold has his doubts. This is such a touching scene. Stop being such a grump. I mean, I get it because I get super grumpy when I'm in pain, but still, it's so sweet. It's like, oh, you're family now. In Storybrooke, David is on the phone with Mary Margaret. They discuss what Emma has told them about Mr. Gold's wound. What they do not know is that Cora and Regina are listening in on them with a phone tap. Mary Margaret tells David to let Emma know that the dagger is with Cora, who she calls a wicked woman. After hearing this, Cora knocks the phone tap to the ground because she does not like, quote, what the enchanted box was saying, end quote. Regina picks it up and tells her mother it is a phone tap. Cora swatting the speaker off the table like an annoyed cat was the funniest shit. <laughs> this is my new favorite scene, everyone. 10 out of 10, A-plus performance. I could watch this on loop. I love it. She is basically that old internet video of the angry cat named Guillermo that just slaps things off tables. <laughs> <laughs> Guillermo, no. His poor oh my distressed God, owners off the side going, Guillermo, Guillermo, no, 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 no. <laughs> and the cat just looks at her and just goes, whack. <laughs> I love it because it's just a boomer response. Like, tell that hooligan, Sir Spanks-a-lot 69, that I am not a crusty old crone. It's like, mom, (laughs) he is a 13-year-old, unsupervised, on the internet. Calm down. (laughs) So good. It's also funny that Snow is holding a red apple in the hand that isn't cradling the phone. Nice visual symbolism. Ooh, I didn't even note that. That's well done. Well done. Cora does not seem to care and is more concerned about their plans changing due to Mr. Gold being alerted about the dagger. Cora looks down at the dagger and notices letters disappearing from the name Rumpelstiltskin. Although Regina thinks he is hurt, Cora knows that this means he is dying. She tells Regina that his power will dissipate into the air when he dies and the Dark One will cease to exist. And honestly, like, no, never mind. I was just going to say, and I mean, that's a good thing. No, wait, no, no. We have to lose Rumpelstiltskin for that. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I want to know what your train of thought is going now, though. I Well, to get rid of the curse. I was uh-huh. like, oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, the only way to, to act for him to actually, like, get rid of the curse is for somebody else to, like, you know, stab him and take it on themselves. Mm-hmm. 
So the theory is they could have let him die and then brought him back a different way. And then he would be Rumble Stillskin and not the Dark One. Yeah. The Dark One's power would have disappeared. Yeah. But I don't know if like, yeah, we could, I mean, he would have to die in other words. Yeah. So crazy. Regina interprets this as using him to get Henry back before he dies. But Cora tells Regina that she must stab him with the dagger to take the power for herself. Regina suspects her mother is just doing this to gain power. Duh. Yeah, there was definitely like when Regina has the moment where she like is like, it's just about power. It's like, Regina, what are you new? Come on. Yeah. Work with me. Yeah. And and then Cora is just like, oh no, it's just to protect our family. And if they don't do this, then they're going to spend the rest of their lives kneeling before them. And so I'm just like, okay. Uh Uh Yeah. You literally see the other shoe drop in Regina's brain. She's like, oh shit. She played me like a fiddle, didn't she? And you're like, yeah, yeah, she did, Regina. But then she doesn't do anything. She doesn't do anything about it. She yeah. just is like, my mom yeah. played me. Doop to doop, gonna keep doing what I was doing though. I'm Regina. Hoop I don't know what else to do. Oh, damn it, woman. <laughs> maybe she, maybe she, maybe she really does want to help me. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. Uh, she doesn't. News. Regina. What I love here is the juxtaposition between Rumpelstiltskin and Cora, which we're going to go explore more in this episode. And I will talk at great length about so, but not here. Here, we're going to go back to the Enchanted Forest, where King Xavier is hosting a masquerade ball. Cora has changed from her work clothes to an expensive, deep red ball gown. She puts on a mask to disguise her identity and places a rose into her hair. And she looks so good. She looks smoking. She looks hot. Boldly, Cora walks up to a young man and casually snarks that she knows this is a ball to vie for Prince Henry. He tells her, well, you're Frank. When Cora looks up at him, she recognizes him as Prince Henry himself. Embarrassed, she apologizes, but he invites her to dance. She accepts, but tells him that she does not want to get in the way of a woman purchasing him. (laughs) He inquires about why she came then, and she admits for the free food. I do not doubt for a second that she came for free food. Like, she was not looking for his favor. She really just wanted to feel pretty, have a good time, and eat. Because, you know, she's impoverished and she's like i know there's gonna be good food at this party yeah she definitely came here for the food and also to stick it to the man yeah damn the man damn the man Power to the, the people. empire <laughs> king xavier interrupts them to dance with cora clearly he recognizes her because he tells her that a stolen dress cannot keep him from recognizing her he notices straw in her gown telling her she carries the mill with her You've got some nerve disparaging me, Cora snaps back. You're selling your own son. He calls her insolent before revealing that the kingdom has been strained by righteous wars and is in need of gold, but that we are still miles above your kind. He then orders her to go as she can offer nothing but errant strands of straw. Cora tells him that she can turn straw into gold, but as he insulted her, he will not reap the benefits now. Like a true queen, she keeps her head high as she says, good luck whoring your son before sauntering off. God damn, we are not a kid's show tonight, ladies. No, but like, can we get a slow clap for how savage that line is? Fuck yes. (laughs) It was fantastic. Just chef's kiss. Yes, bitch. So good. So good. Just so good. Before Cora can leave, though, the king grabs her by the arm and drags her in front of the ballroom. The audience laughs when he tells them about her claims of spinning straw into gold and tells his servant to fetch a spinning wheel. For real, what is this guy's problem? Like, there is literally no reason for him to be even half the ass he's being. No, it's just his nature. He's just... Just an ass. It's an audio medium, so people can't see me rolling my eyes and making lewd hand motions about everything he does. <laughs> but trust that I am making them, because I'm just like, ugh, this absolute cock and balls over here. Yeah. <laughs> Swear to God. The king offers her a deal, which is not really much of a deal. If she stays the night and spins straw into gold, she can marry Prince Henry. If she fails, she will die. I remember when I first watched this episode and we got to this part and I was like, oh shit, they're finally doing the Rumpelstiltskin fairy tale and was super pumped about it. 
same here. Like before I was attached to Cora the way I am now, I was like, oh, this is so cool that they're actually finally doing the Rumpelstiltskin fairy tale. Yeah, this is definitely an example of using a character for multiple roles in a surprising way worked wonderfully. I mean, she was always written to be yeah. the Miller's daughter. Yeah. And they just kind of kept her in their back pocket. Once we even knew about her existence and like the last name being Mills and Storybrooke. So I think it was just a matter of time. Before we move on, can we just acknowledge that it's a really bum deal? I don't even think it was a deal. I think it was just more of a like, you do this or die, bitch. Yeah. But it's like, okay, so here it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Really, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You can't do it and you die. You can do it. You marry this fucking waste of space over here. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's shitty either way. It, sh- it shakes out, really. At least Henry is useless. Yeah. He's just God, he's so useless. Prince Henry is useless. We should. We should yeah. Our oh, Henry. Everyone knows I'm not talking about my sweet baby boy. He's perfect. At least perfect the deal in wasn't, every way. Wasn't exactly. to be like you'd marry me, King Xavier, because that guy. That guy's got no interest in her. <laughs> i mean yeah at least at least it's better at least it's better than being all like oh i'll marry you myself because like oh god hard pass mm-hmm. back in storybrook david and mary margaret meet emma and company at the docks and help mr gold to david's truck henry proudly boasts that he got to drive a ship that his dad taught him neil bashfully looks over at david and nods that's me and we all just fucking stand dad of the year neil David and Neil are the ones helping Gold to the truck. And I just think it is so cute how David just looks at Neil, like super impressed. Like, wow, I literally met you 10 seconds ago and you totally don't take after your dad. Good for you. 10 out of 10. Like, of course, David and Rumpel are BFFs, but David is hyper aware of his friend's faults. <laughs> to be fair, though, how do you not be impressed by Neil? He's adorable and good. Like oh sure, so adorable but he, and good. But he also, <laughs> but like David just literally met him, so so did we ever love him? <laughs> oh, we saw him. We we saw him before. David didn't know anything about like all the goings ons in like Tallahassee and Manhattan. He got that pouty face. What else you got to know? That's true. That's true. <laughs> got that cute pouty face. Cute pouty face, and that Im- little impish smile that he has. Mm-hmm. That, that I do love the little smirk, the little crooked smile. It's so cute. Mm-hmm. David asks if Cora is controlling Rumpelstiltskin with the dagger. Mr. Gold tells him that they'll know when she does because most of them would all be dead by now. Not comforting. (laughs) Mary Margaret is still thirsting for Cora's blood, determined to murk a bitch despite Charming telling her that killing goes beyond simply protecting their family. Mary Margaret tells David that Cora is the reason he has never met her mother. David tells Mary Margaret that he hates what happened to Eva, but he does not want Cora to be killed by her hand and not in the name of vengeance. Bruh, I am sensing some faults in your logic. Like, you have no problem with Cora dying for killing Queen Eva, but not by Snow or out of vengeance. Hmm. I don't think Batman exists in this world, so I don't know if any other vigilante you're going to convince to kill Cora. There is a thin line between justice and vengeance when death is the end result. I mean, Disney has Marvel now. Maybe we can get Frank Castle to do it. Oh, he would totally do it. <laughs> or, you know, literally anything. I just want to see John Berthnall Punisher again. I miss him. He was so good. I can't he get was- beyond Shane. How much I unrelentingly fucking hated Shane in the Listen, Dead. John Berthnall is a snack and I will die on this hill. <laughs> I just fucking hate Shane. Uh, so he's, he's really good as Frank Castle, though. I, I've heard. I have heard. Okay. And one day came, I will watch The Passing. He came Punisher. into the comic store in my parents' hometown to buy Punisher comics to research <gasps> the role. Oh, okay. That is sweet. Okay. So they have like little pictures of him up at Hypno Comics, inventor of plugging Hypno Comics support indie booksellers they have pictures of him coming in being like yeah researching for the punisher do your parents still own that hmm? oh it's not my not no my my parents love it they don't own it oh, although okay. my dad did own a comic book store back in the day which is how my parents met right i knew your parents owned a comic book store i just thought that that was no comic my dad's book. comic book store was called apollo comics and it was in the valley hmm. but hypno comics is in ventura shout out it's very good i have bought many many things from there cool and so is john berthnall (laughs) support your indie comic book shops this has been a psa from lynn about comic book shops mine is comics odyssey in pasadena nice it's the one that they molded uh uh, i don't know what it's called in the big bang theory but comics odyssey is the comic book store 
that they molded their comic book store after. Oh. Between that and Game Empire, which is like where you go to like, you know, you can rent tables and buy games and stuff and play games there because they sort of did a hybrid version of that in the show. I have seen like three episodes of Big Bang Theory. I've seen the clip where they took out the laugh track and they replaced all the laughs with Titus's laugh from Final Fantasy X. Yep. Okay. And that <laughs> so was the only time I've laughed at it. <laughs> going, ha, 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 ha. And uh, that was really funny. Okay. But uh, that's that's all I've, I've really seen of Big Bang Theory. I used to watch it because it took place in Pasadena. And since I'm local to the area, I, I was in it for the regional jokes. Of which there were many for a long time. I do know the character Bernadette because I Googled her because she's hella cute. When I had long hair, I had multiple random old women and men stop me over the years to tell me I looked like Bernadette. You do look like Bernadette a little bit. I could see it. So I had to look it up. After the second time it happened, I was like, what is it with old people and me and this character? What is it with old people just randomly talking to you? People <laughs> love to randomly talk to me. I'm smiley. I mean, that is true. There have been multiple times I've been out with you and there's just been like a random person starts talking at you and I'm just like, we're going to miss the movie. Yeah, yeah my I'm, mother, my other hates going out with me to like stores and shit because I will just start randomly talking with people. <laughs> She's like, why the hell do you make friends everywhere you go? I hate it. <laughs> oh, that's my mother. That's my mom too. Yeah, that's I don't- why they get on like a house on fire. Yeah, I don't really start conversations with people but I'm I'm smiley and I'm and I don't want to be rude when they start talking to me so like I I just go with it unless I'm really nervous I'm like oh I need to go (laughs) Mary Margaret asks him why and he tells her that she would not be able to live with herself further adding that she has the purest heart of anyone he has ever known and that is how she is going to stay the intent here is pure, but the delivery of this is kind of sloppy. Like, okay, Vengeance bad, but I don't know. Maybe it's the Batman fan in me, but fuck it. I don't know. What do, what do you two think? Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, Vengeance. Who cares? Fuck it. Go for it. Yeah. Charming in the past was all, we have to kill Regina in that one episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting kind of a role reversal here in their morals. Also, one of my main issues with this plotline is it's we've seen various battle sequences with these these two fighting a lot of people didn't necessarily look non-fatal you know like did snow and charming never kill any of king george's men or or queen regina's guards in battle like well yes it would be it would be self-defense not murder but it's still taking a life which i feel like they keep stating as being like oh it blackens your heart Mm -hmm. and so i mean i'm pretty sure they did yeah, same. I'm not sure if we ever see Snow kill anyone, but uh, we we sure have seen Charming do it. I thought Bandit Snow killed some guards and stuff. She knocks them around a bunch, but I don't think we've ever seen her kill anyone. But we have we have that one episode, Lady in the Lady Lake. Lady the Lake, I know which one you're talking about, yeah. And mm-hmm. there's that scene where he looks real good doing it, but he just like straight murders seven men in a row and he doesn't stop until he's like, my mama's been shot. Yeah. So Charming bless him is a tiny bit of a murder hobo yeah Yeah. leroy too he straight up breaks a dude's neck i think Mm -hmm. to save snow white in the one battle when they're like storming the castle he gets king george's castle maybe it's regina's castle anyways it's when they go to save charming he definitely does well leroy is different and gets to play by his own rules and i love him for it he's the wolverine of the show just the gruff angry short guy breaking necks and hearts well he did white fang that fairy poor astrid see heartbreaker heartbreaker i'm 100 positive ruby does have the highest uh good guy body body count though she's killed a lot <laughs> well mm-hmm. yeah emma asks mr gold if he is all right he tells them to take him back to the shop as there is magic there that can protect them ruby is there to take henry and keep him out of the crossfire henry reassures emma that she will get cora Back in the enchanted forest of the past, a young Cora is locked in a tower in the palace and looks out the window to see a moat below. Rumpelstiltskin appears, startling her as he snarks that she would escape through the window but die in the process. Cora asks him how he got in so she can get out the same way. He points to the spinning wheel, telling her it is her way out. Rumpelstiltskin tells her that it is a marvelous coincidence because spinning straw into gold just so happens to be something he likes to do. Cora doubts this, but eats her words when she sees the straw spun directly into gold. You want to help me? Cora asks, but 
but Rumpelstiltskin says he wants her to help him, and she will, as he has seen a bit of the future to have known to be there. An exasperated Cora asks, what could you possibly get from me? Rumpelstiltskin summons up a contract. Upon reading it, she learns that he wants her firstborn child. Yes, she is quite important, Rumpelstiltskin reveals. I only get my payment if you live past tomorrow. Rumpel begins to pantomime Cora's near triumph come the morrow when she will be able to parade victoriously around the royals and have all of them kneel before her. No, Cora interrupts. Teach me. Instead of him spinning the straw into gold for her, Cora asks him to amend the contract to include teaching her. Tittering with pride, and let's be real, attraction. Rumble says, you're a spicy one, aren't you? Before he amends the contract and formally introduces himself. Cora signs the contract and they begin. They are a match made in dark heart heaven. We return to Storybrooke, where Emma brings a seemingly empty jar to Mr. Gold. When she shakes the jar, something rattles, but she still cannot see anything. When she dips her hand into the jar, she grabs something invisible, and Mr. Gold explains that it is invisible chalk. He tells Emma to draw a line by the front of the door while he tells Neil, David, and Mary Margaret to prepare for battle. Mary Margaret begins to walk into another room, but Mr. Gold asks her to get him a warmer blanket. Inside a cabinet, she sees the candle she could have used to save her mother's life. When Mary Margaret asks why he has it, Mr. Gold says, for a rainy day. Meanwhile, Emma uses the invisible chalk outside to draw a line. Neil jokingly says she missed a spot. You're hilarious, she remarks. He says he did not know Emma was magical, to which she retorts, Oh my, are you being judgy about this? You're not allowed to have opinions about surprises, Mr. Son of Rumpelstiltskin. Neil surmises that tomorrow was a surprise, but Emma asks him if he thinks she cares if a guy she dated 10 years ago is engaged. David walks over and asks them if everything is okay, and they both nod their heads. His himbo dad senses were tingling. <laughs> I I love Emma's little like, don't be judgy about Neil's reaction to her doing mm-hmm. magic. It's so good. So good. Neil is so adorable in this scene, though. Like his little pouty face he makes when she's like, you're one to talk. And he's just like, damn, <laughs> damn, she got me. She got my, me. <laughs> my favorite, though, was like, you missed a spot and her going, you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Like, fuck you. She's she's over it. (laughs) He is so flirty. I can't even like, I just can't even. Like he's unintentionally flirty. Like he just can't help it. Yeah, he's so smitten with her. He he is. And she's just like, pal, we are not chill. I am still mad at you. (laughs) I am so mad. I am big mad at you. (laughs) The focus shifts back to Mary Margaret, who accurately guesses that Mr. Gold is not getting any better. He tells her that the candle can save him, but she asks him why she should use it on him when she could not even use it to save her mother's life. He tells her that she is grown up now, and for the first time, their interests are aligned. Mary Margaret figures out that he wants her to use the candle to save him and kill Cora. She tells him that there is no coming back from murder, to which he responds that there is no coming back from death either, and Cora is sure to kill her loved ones. Something she remembers about the candle is that it only works if you whisper the victim's name over them. Mr. Gould tells her a heart will work too. He tells her that since Cora's heart is outside of her body, Snow will have to curse the heart and put it inside Cora's body, thus killing her. Mary Margaret then tells Mr. Gould that alternatively, she can get Cora's heart, force her to do the right thing while letting Mr. Gould die, effectively killing two birds with one stone. Mr. Gold scoffs at this, saying he just imagined Henry's face when she hears that Snow killed his grandfather. Damn, Snow, you cold. I don't know, man. Snow is out for blood, and I'm kind of here for it. Emma approaches them, asking if it is time for Gold to cast a protection spell. To her surprise, Mr. Gold says that she will do it instead. I can't cast a spell, Emma argues. I can spell spell, and I fucking love you, Emma. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the most Jane Espenson line I think we've ever had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like I'm not, I didn't even really watch a whole lot of Buffy. And I'm like, I can easily imagine Buffy saying that. Oh yeah. So that, uh, that is, <laughs> that, that is, is a Buffy line. Yeah. It would come out of Sarah Michelle Geller's mouth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Gold reassures Emma that it is in her. 
She does not understand how, so Mr. Gold tells her to try. Emma closes her eyes to try, but Mr. Gold barks at her to stop thinking. Stop thinking! (laughs) Conjuring magic is not intellectual, but emotional. He tells her to ask herself why she's doing this and who she is protecting. Taking his words to heart, Emma tries again, this time with results, as a protection shield forms outside the shop. Mr. Gold needs to open up his little side hustle, Rumpelstiltskin School of Magic, with Emma and his grandson Henry as his only pupils. <laughs> this scene is so good. Both Robert and Jennifer and then Robert and Jennifer play amazingly off each other and it's just wonderful performances. Mm-hmm. Ah, ah, so good. This episode's so good. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Cora tries to spin the straw into gold to no avail. Rumpelstiltskin calmly tells her she needs to stop thinking as magic is about emotion. Sexy emotions. (laughs) (laughs) I restrained myself, okay? I restrained myself. Rumpelstiltskin tells Cora to summon up the moment in her life when she was so angry she could have killed. You do that, Cora asks, to which Rumpelstiltskin affirms. This intrigues her. And I use that word with liberal air quotes because y'all know what I mean by intrude. Cora then asks him about his moment, and he responds with the time a man made him kiss his boots in front of his son. He tells Cora that he goes back to that time in his mind, rips out the man's throat, and crushes his veins with his teeth. And that, dearie, is how magic is made. Cora gives him a sultry smirk as she replies, bloodlust, in a low and extremely not appropriate for a family primetime slot voice. Rumple says, I like the phrase, I need a drink of water. Hold on. Jeebus saves me from these two hornballs. <laughs> that episode is too horny. <laughs> too horny. It's too horny. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a triple H rated episode. <laughs> Like, good lord. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Do you need an adult? I need an adult. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. I have bad news for you. I am not an adult. <laughs> Slowly. <On> my own. <laughs> Just let me get through this paragraph. It is hard. Okay. <laughs> I actually have to like talk about this out loud. This episode is so horny. This episode this is so horny. So horny. <laughs> Triple H horny. <laughs> Too horny. <laughs> so inappropriate. Cannot believe ABC family or whatever the fuck ABC saw yeah, this and was yeah, and it was went straight ABC. And, yeah, it was just straight ABC, yeah, right? Yeah. ABC just went and looked at this and said, mm, "Good times." Yeah, they were like, "That's fine. Go ahead and air That's it fine. as is. That's fine. Let's go. Let's just keep doing it. No changes <laughs> necessary. Just go on. Just go on. Someone must have really had the hots for Robert Carlyle, which I could cannot blame them or rose mcgowan or rose or both hey why not both both (laughs) is good okay slowly rumple walks around to stand behind cora places his hands on her shoulders and sits close behind her on the stool and what kind of fucked up monster fucker version of ghost is this friends i like can't even handle it cora tells him about king xavier making her kneel before princess eva for doing no wrong when asked about what she wants to do, she tells Rumpelstiltskin that she wants them to bow and kneel until their kneecaps break, their necks to break from bending. And soon she sees that the straw she has just spun turned into gold. He whispers into her ear to not stop until they are on their knees. Good Lord. Okay. <laughs> Rumpel caresses her as Cora says, Let's keep going and continues to spin straw into gold. We have reached DEFCON horny, monster fuckers. This is not a drill or a kid show. This episode's too horny. Also, Rumpelstiltskin's makeup on his nose in the scene is rubbed off because they kept obviously doing the takes where he's rubbing it on Cora's shoulders. Uh-huh. Someone get him some setting spray. Setting spray can only do so much, my dude. Trust me, I know makeup. The best setting spray in the world can't save your makeup if you just keep wiping your nose on people. You just, you gotta stop wiping your nose on people. You gotta stop. Gotta. Fun fact, this scene actually was inspired by Ghost. Uh, Of course it was. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. Mm Mm-mm. (laughs) 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The next day, Cora spins in front of the king, offering him the gold. Rumpelstiltskin, carefully covered in a cloak, looks anxiously with the other attendees. The king asks Cora how she could have done this, since she is only a miller's daughter. I am so much more, Cora declares proudly. King Xavier tells her that she has earned the prince, and while she accepts the proposal, her eyes meet Rumpelstiltskin as they share a secretive smile. Yep, those two fucked in the hay. Yeah. I love how King Xavier is like, well, you've earned my useless himbo son. <laughs> Oh, congratulations. congratulations. I know. God, what You've a done it. prize. I guess. <laughs> oh, I know. There you go. No one else wants him. <laughs> David and Mary Margaret look through the window of Mr. Gold's shop, and David notices Mary Margaret is looking down and asks her what's wrong. She tells him it is nothing, but he inquires if Mr. Gold told her something. Mary Margaret reveals that Mr. Gold told her that Cora is determined to hurt them, which David vows not to permit. In a voice haunted by the past, Mary Margaret solemnly agrees. Stop her with murder. Yeah, she's going to do a murder. She's got it in her eyes. The ground begins shaking and rumbling, alerting the heroes that Regina and Cora have arrived. They're here. Take care, Lamb. <laughs> I will run towards that light. Once again, impressed that you've made a horror movie reference two weeks in a row. Poltergeist is something I saw as a kid, so I can easily sit and watch it just fine. Oh, yeah. Still. Fine. It, it does scare me. It does still, still scare me. Yeah, it scares um, me I, too, but it's it definitely still a, scares me. I yeah, think it's a horror movie I like too. This, the parts that scare me are uh, the clown. The Ooh, clown. Yes. You know, and I'm not, I don't have a clownophobia thing, but I don't, but that clown is like especially gross, grotesque oh, looking. He's horrible. So, yeah, the clown and then the guy, he's like, he works with uh, Rubina and he's like looking in the mirror and like his flesh falls oh, off or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't like that part. I don't like that one or like, I think like maggoty chicken or something. Yep. Yeah, don't like that. Like the whole like, finale with the pool i love that part that's great i mean it's so good no it's so good <laughs> so but it's so creepy it's creepy, they're real they're real skeletons what yeah and they wondered why that production was so fucking cursed shit like that oh my god yeah they use real it. skeletons in that scene and then it's like oh the production of poltergeist is cursed and it's like gee i fucking wonder why man cora and regina appear outside the shop and use their cumulative magic to break down the protection spell Mother and daughter enter to find Neil, David, Emma, and Mary Margaret standing at attention with a variety of weapons with which to defend themselves. Emma tells Regina to think about what she is doing as she is entering the shop, but it has no bearing on Regina, who tells Emma not to talk to her. <laughs> I love that. Don't talk to me. Or talk to me. <laughs> Angie. I'm it's angry. such a mature response. It is. <laughs> no talk, I'm angry. It's like, how old are you? <laughs> I love Regina. She's... she's progressively regressing oh, <laughs> oh she is regressing yeah Her mom showed up and she straight up regressed yeah mm-hmm. she she aged backwards she's gonna need a lot of sessions with archie after this oh yeah <laughs> so, many. <laughs> so many while a fight is about to break out mary margaret manages to sneak out of the shop through the back door regina summons a fireball which david extinguishes with his sword in an act of retaliation regina uses her magic to cast david out of the shop slamming the door behind him Emma strides towards the door, but is thwarted by Cora. Neil lunges forward with his sword, but Cora teleports away into purple smoke. Regina steps forward to choke out Emma, and Cora re-enters. Emma clutches a sharp object and breaks free of Regina's grasp. She holds it against Regina's throat. The dagger of the Dark One lays on the floor between Neil and Cora. Neil tells Cora to choose wisely. This bitch ain't nobody's fool. She chooses magic to raise the dagger off the floor and into her hand. As a consequence of this, Emma shoves Regina into Cora, causing them to tumble into a glass display case. Emma smashing Regina into Gold's display case just made me go, aw, she does take after her uncle still skin. She's like, oh, smash too. Smash! (laughs) 
Yelling to Neil, Emma tells him to run to Mr. Gold in the back room, and she will create a barrier with the chalk. The barrier configures before Cora and Regina can stop them. Before they can further plan their attack, Cora wobbles, sensing someone is messing with her heart safely protected at Regina's vault. Cora sends her daughter to investigate while she works to penetrate the barrier by herself. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Cora stands before a mirror dressed in her wedding gown, staring, contemplating her marriage to Henry when Rumpelstiltskin appears, reckoning he enjoys the view. The couple kiss passionately before Cora jokingly pulls away, pretending to be scandalized as she tells him she is a married woman. Rumpelstiltskin reminds her that the wedding is tomorrow, leaving them plenty of time. <laughs> Lol, these two are so horny for each other. I have a question. How much time do you think has passed between the last I, flashback? Okay, and this? I do, even though I think historically, especially Royals way back in, you know, times didn't have long engagements. It was just like, I mean, unless they were betrothed at birth, you know, like they usually got married straight away. But for the level of skill that Cora has acquired from Rumpelstiltskin, plus the level of, and I don't, I don't mean this like physical, but like emotional intimacy that we know that they have, they had to have been training for months it feels like, like it it feels like i mean this is like an affair that's been going on for a while when we get absolutely to this yeah absolutely rumple tells cora that he loves the dress and she expresses that a royal bride must be snow white which prompts rumple stiltskin to laugh because of the irony he spies in his future vision despite marrying into a royal family cora is still fifth in line to be queen she is second guessing her desire for this life in light of what rumple stiltskin can give her but he cuts her off by saying he can give her nothing but darkness and isolation. Cora adds that he can give her love, to which Rumpelstiltskin acknowledges. I want that, Cora declares. After a moment of deliberation, Rumpel offers to amend their contract. Instead of Cora owing him a random firstborn child, she now owes him his child. Both agree to this newer deal so they can be together. But Cora has one caveat, King Xavier. Cora wants to pay him back for humiliating her. She wants to rip out his heart and crush it before his very eyes. A very hot and bothered Rumpelstiltskin says, that is why I love you. He promises to teach her and she promises to kill King Xavier and run away with Rumpel that very night. They seal this promise with a kiss. He is so into her bloodlust. Murder is just like foreplay for these two. <gasps> Murder is their love language. <laughs> Too horny. That sound like it's cute. <laughs> Too horny. <laughs> way too it is way too horny. Too horny is their love language. <laughs> that. Murder and magic is their love language, and it makes them horny. We return to Storybrooke as Mary Margaret walks into Regina's vault and begins to hunt for Cora's heart. Meanwhile, David wakes up from being thrown out of the shop and knocked unconscious. Using his cell phone, he contacts Emma from outside of the shop. David asks Emma if she is all right, and she says yes, informing him of the protection spell around the back room. Emma and David become aware that Mary Margaret is not with either of them. Simultaneously, Mary Margaret finds Cora's heart in the vault. She lights the magic candle, whispering Cora's name, then blows out the flame. Just call her Murder Mary. Murder Margaret? Whatever. I should say something here about being sad. Snow has resorted to murder, but mm, I'm not. I'm not sad. The shot of this is really nice. It's really spooky. well done and spooky and intense. I was just like it whispers a name and then blows out the candle. Like it's really cool. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really nice little sequence. It reminds me a lot of when Gabrielle first killed in Xena Warrior Princess. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I can like, yeah. like it was really giving me Xena Warrior Princess flashbacks yeah yeah definitely see that minus lesbian yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) are you still with us lynn listen xena was how i figured things out i'm putting that out there (laughs) i think we've already talked about that in an episode Mm -hmm. oh yeah i will love her until the day i die (laughs) oh yeah same Back in the enchanted forest of the past, King Xavier sits at his desk with piles of gold when Cora approaches him. The king asks how he can help her, and Cora confesses that she doesn't love his son. He utters that his son is not much to love. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. 
Oh, you're so mean. I mean, he's fine right now. He's fine. He's actually very sweet. <laughs> right now, he's Wonder Bread. There's no nutritional substance to it. It's just empty calories. Aww. Aww. But squishy and delicious nonetheless. <laughs> Doesn't do a thing for you, but in the moment you're like, it's not so bad. <laughs> He reminds her that their union is not about love, but alliances. Furthermore, he declares love is a weakness. The king offers Cora a deal. She can run off with the evil imp she thinks no one knows about, or marry Henry and have the whole kingdom at her feet. Cora approximates if the choice is love or power, having a heart is a liability. She leaves the king's chambers holding a box with a human heart inside of it. Flash forward to Storybrooke. Cora clenches her fingers in an effort to disintegrate the magical barrier protecting Mr. Gold. From his vantage, Neil sees that the barrier is beginning to give way. Mr. Gold then interjects that it might be for the best, citing the Dark One's curse and the pain of death. Neil proclaims that he will not die. As a result of being on his deathbed, Mr. Gold tells Emma that he wants to talk with Belle. Emma then clues Neil into the relationship between Mr. Gold and Belle. At the hospital, Belle answers the phone. Again, she tells Mr. Gold she does not remember who he is. Acknowledging this, Mr. Gold tells her that he is dying. Belle says she's sorry, and Mr. Gold begins to impart on her the kind of person she was. He tells her that she is a hero who helped her people, a beautiful woman who loved an ugly man. Belle sees the good in people, and if they have none, she creates it. He tells her that when she looks in the mirror and does not recognize her face, that that is who she is. Belle starts crying before Mr. Gold hangs up the phone. The phone call to Belle is so beautiful. Like he made it about her and it's so touching. I feel so bad for Neil in this scene though, because Jesus Christ, how awkward is it? Just sitting there listening to your dad talk to his girlfriend you didn't even know about while you're just like, uh, do I need to be here for this? Yeah, you're trapped. You are literally trapped. (laughs) He's literally stuck here. Let me out. Let me out. Yeah, this scene's really touching, but now you point that out, it's actually, it's, yeah, it'd be so awkward. Just imagine the scene recut with, like, sitcom music and a laugh track, though. Just Titus's laugh from Final Fantasy X. <laughs> My Dad the Lizard Wizard, airing on ABC, Sunday nights at 8 p.m. I'd, I'd watch the hell out of that. <laughs> the theme song will be done by the Bare Naked Ladies. I want the show, though. Neil comments that he did not know his father had that kind of love in him. To which Mr. Gold says that he's full of love. I mean, and he's kind of full of shit too, but he is full of love. (laughs) And murder. Love and murder. Love and murder. Making this evident by telling Neil he searched for him for centuries. Neil quietly expresses he never thought his father would not go back on their deal. Mr. Gold responds to Neil by telling him he made the wrong decision. Mr. Gold reaches his hand out to Neil, who tells him he is still angry. I know, Mr. Gold whispers. Neil grabs his dad's hand and embraces him. I loved when Neil in this scene just goes, no, you're not dying. Like his father is just having a temper tantrum and it's totally controllable. It's both funny and emotional. It's wonderfully played. And then when he grabs his dad's hand, I'm just like, Bay. Michael and Robert are so good in this scene. I love that Neil is allowed to have more than one emotion in this scene. Like he's still angry and hurt, but he also still loves his papa very much. He doesn't want him to die. He has layers. He has layers, layers like an onion. Like an onion. Like an onion. Meanwhile, Regina walks into her vault and finds Mary Margaret. Instantly, she asserts that Snow has no right to be in her vault and no right to Cora's heart. Mary Margaret looks up from the box and offers it to Regina as she explains that Cora has never been able to love her due to the absence of her heart. Regina remarks that Cora always wanted the best for her, and that is love. Snow continues to put doubts in her mind, declaring that Regina could either have a real mother finally and can have the family Henry could be part of, or Cora can become the dark one. Oh crap, Snow. That's devious. Like, honestly, it's fucking genius, but devious. I'm like, really impressed. It was so smart and so calculating and so damn cold. She used Regina's own perception of Snow's goodness as a weapon against her. Like, shit, girl. Hot, though. Oh, way hot. Like, 
she's always been the brain of this band of heroes, but this is a whole new level of genius and just so fucking cold. I'm so impressed though. This whole setup is just like A plus, damn good writing. Thank you, Jane, for this pain. Sneaky snow is sneaky. So sneaky. Standing near a tree in the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin anxiously waits for Cora. When she arrives, she is carrying the box containing a human heart. The two share a kiss, but Rumpelstiltskin immediately senses that something is amiss. Cora tells him that she was able to take the king's heart, but she chose not to. She then imparts that she cannot run off with him because she has a wedding to get to. Her own. Growing agitated, Rumpel demands to know whose heart is in the box. Cora confesses that the box contains her heart as it was getting in the way. Rumpelstiltskin grows angry with her, accusing her of never loving him, and declares that he will take her baby. Cora gently reminds him of the amendment that he was to get his own child, and that any baby she has will not be his. <laughs> this scene hurts so much. Rumpel is instantly defensive, thinking that she does not love him, which of course will go on to inform his self-loathing by the time Belle comes along in another 30-ish years. Also, it is another testimony of his love for her that he didn't just like kill Cora right then and there, like he could have. And it just breaks my heart because they two could have been happy-ish. <laughs> they have such self-destructive demons in them. <sighs> we return to Storybrooke where letters from Mr. Gold's dagger diminishes one by one as Cora continues to muster up magic to break apart the barrier spell. Meanwhile, outside Regina's crypt, Mary Margaret sits outside on the steps when David runs up to her. He finds her cradling her head in her hands and asks her what she did. She shakes her head, telling him that this is not her. The scene cuts back to Cora, who finally manages to open the barrier and enter the back room. She tells Neil and Emma to get out of the way, and when they do not listen, she sends them to some random road by the use of her magic. Cora sits at Mr. Gold's side, and he admits that he saw this day in his future vision though he never got the answer to his question. Did she ever really love him? Cora gently scoffs, responding that she had to rip her own heart out because he was her weakness and the only man she ever loved. Lifting the dagger, which now only has one letter left on it, she braces herself to stab Mr. Gold, but instead jolts forward, dropping it. Standing behind her is Regina, who has just inserted her mother's heart. The two smile at each other, ready to embrace. In the enchanted forest of the past, Cora is a new mother now, and as she sits next to Prince Henry, King Xavier asks for the baby's name. Cora lifts the baby into the air, telling the court her name is Regina. For one day, she will be queen. Everyone in attendance kneels. Flash forward, after her heart has successfully been restored, Cora walks towards Regina, but suddenly collapses. Mr. Gold sees his wounds have vanished as Cora collapses into Regina's arms, as Regina takes Cora into her arms. Mr. Gold picks up his dagger just as Cora whispers her dying words to Regina. This would have been enough. You would have been enough. Regina begins to fall apart as her mother dies in her arms. Damn, that's fucked up. Mr. Gold waspishly tells Regina that her mother did her no favors. Regina snaps at him, blaming him for her mother's death and claiming he must have cast some spell, which Mr. Gold refutes. Suddenly, Mary Margaret rushes in, shouting for Regina to stop. Rage fills Regina as she glares daggers up at Mary Margaret and hisses, you did this. End credits. Well, there goes any progress Regina made as a person right off a cliff. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, at least Regina has a real reason to hate snow after all these years. Oh, you mean instead of just being the dad from Christmas Story going, you used up all the glue on purpose. Yeah, I guess at least there's that. This episode is just really good. Like halfway through the rewatch, I was like, damn, this one is really good. And then I remembered it's a Jane Espenson one and was like, oh, of course. But the writing is great. The performances are great. It's it's compelling. It keeps you engaged in both storylines from start to finish. Like, this is Once Upon a Time at some of its best. Oh, no, I, I agree. This episode is really well done. Like, I found myself actually having very little to say about it because of that. Like, bad episodes, I can have a whole dissertation ready about everything wrong with them. 
but I spent most of this episode just watching it with zero commentary because I was just having a good time. Ugh, cracks my knuckles. Okay. <laughs> oh, here, here, here it comes. Here it comes. Here, here it comes. comes. Here it comes. Excuse me. It's going to ramble. It's going to be a rambly mess. Had a long day. No, go for it. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone who has been listening that this is one of my most favorite episodes of the whole show. Like, listen, Rumbell is endgame for me in my heart of hearts. So don't come at me, friends. Just hear me out. Cora and Rumpelstiltskin started from a very similar position in poverty under the shadow and whims of unfeeling aristocracy and monarchy. They both wanted more for themselves after poignant moments of humiliation. They both wanted power. Even Cora, with all of her existing power, still wanted the dagger because she saw it as necessary to her continual existence for reasons. Even if it meant killing the only man she ever loved, even if it meant alienating her daughter. Rumpelstiltskin went through the same process. He sought the power for protection, yes, but also for vengeance, to punish those who oppressed him and his neighbors in the front lands. He ended up alienating his son as well as losing him. Cora and Rumpel could have had it all, love, a child, and power. But would Rumpelstiltskin had gone off track and never found Bay? Would Cora have gone on that journey with him? Would their daughter have had to be the one to cast the curse? And if so, she likely would have had to kill Cora or Rumpel in the process as the curse required the thing you love most to be slaughtered. Honestly, I think one of the biggest missed opportunities to this show was to put in the twist that Rumpel was Regina's biological dad and no one but Cora knew. I think it would have added a new layer to the question, what makes a family? Like, there is a sweet taste of angst that she isn't, of course, because Rumpel had to look on from a distance and be like, you should have been mine. But of course, the show was too lazy to ever let his character really process those feelings just like they were too lazy to give Cora a full season. Like she is easily the best bad guy of the entire show. And I think they blew their wad way too early with her. And I also got to say, I wish we had spent more time with young Cora during her apprenticeship with Rumpel to get a deeper feeling and appreciation for their bond. If it didn't end so badly between them, I would almost want to say that they still continued to like sleep together afterwards, just because I know they corresponded. And he sees Regina a few times, like when she's very, like too young to remember him. I don't know if like between the letters him and Cora exchanged and seeing Regina as a small child, like as a baby, essentially meant that they still kind of like trained and got it on the side or whatever. They had to have spent months together because of the level of training she had. Not to mention she knew about Balefire and never attempted to deter or use that against him, save to bring the globe to make a pretty innocuous deal. I mean, innocuous as far as like Cora is concerned. Like that globe was something that was so instrumental in finding Balefire and she had it for him waiting It shows that though she was unable to feel love after she um, tore out her heart, and therefore that's why Regina got like the shit end of that stick, Cora, I still think, felt like she had the memory of love still in her, even though she wasn't actively feeling it. And I honestly think that when she said this could have been enough, she was with the two people she loved most. She was with Rumpel and she was with Regina. You know what I mean? Like them as a family could have been enough for her, but she didn't allow it. It's funny because thinking on it, how the writers constantly harp on Rumpel being a coward, but Cora is actually quite a coward herself. Like she could not trust that following her heart and letting herself love was going to be enough to lead to her dreams or whatever. So- that is like my big like Rumple. I guess their ship name is like Golden Heart or something, Golden Hearts. But that's my big rant on it. And I really love Cora and will absolutely miss her as like a bad guy. And and I will mourn the what could have been. All right. Costumes. Cora's flashback dresses are so pretty and she looks so good. The red masquerade one, the wedding dress, it's all so pretty. I think dresses. everyone looked great yeah. other than poor Belle who they just continue to screw over by keeping her in that in that backless school. hospital gown. In that state. Yeah, and I thought it would have been hella fucking interesting if Belle and Cora 
would have been able to meet and stuff. Like they don't have to face off. I just thought it'd be interesting, but mm, they just conveniently like, you know, are like, oh, Belle, you're over here. Do you think Cora's run is so short because they just couldn't have Barbara Hershey for that long? I mean, she'd have to go be in all the goddamn insidious movies. Yeah, I did notice that. I was like, whoa, she's in those movies? Mm. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. One of the only things about them that are good. Because <laughs> let me tell you, those movies suck. Yeah, she had already done Insidious 2. She um, went on to do 10 episodes of uh, something called Damien. That certainly sounds like it's also oh, horror. Yeah, that was that was a mini series based off The Omen. Oh, Bradley, um, Bradley from Merlin was in it, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, I love him. Bradley James. Bradley James. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's not like a pressing commitment. It was just, you know. Yeah, probably I mean, she, She's She's been active, like, you know, nonstop. So. Oh, yeah. In, in one form or another. But no, I think she would have 100%. Yeah, I think we just blame the, blame the Kitsowitz. I'm gonna just going to blame the Kitsowitz. All right, now it's time to play Who's That Guest Star, in which we discuss guest stars. In season two, episode 16, we have a fuck ton. Okay, we have Jerry Rousseau as Cora's father. Rousseau has been doing bit parts in film and television for the last 35 years with guest spots on titles such as 21 Jump Street, Sliders, The Outer Limits, The X-Files, and Supernatural. Eva Allen as Princess Eva. Eva Allen, who is currently credited as Eva Bourne, began her career with a guest star on Psych. She followed that up with a three-episode guest star on Caprica and more guest stars until she landed two major roles on Garage Sale Mysteries and When Calls the Heart. I had to read that a dozen times to make sure it wasn't my brain playing tricks on me. When Calls the Heart, not to be confused <laughs> with When the Heart Calls. Oakley dokely. <laughs> sure, why not? Why it's not? fucking Hallmark Channel bullshit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's hokey. That explains basically everything I needed to know. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be in the vein of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman-ish. Uh, like, like Lady Doctor leaves her well-to-do East Coast family to go be a pioneer or, you know, go be out in the country. Some bullshit. Uh, I don't know. I like Dr. Quinn. I used to watch that when I was a kid. Next, we have Joaquim de Almeida as King Xavier. Portuguese actor de Almeida has been in a ton of stuff. I'm talking 144 credits. We're talking movies, TV, voice work for cartoons and video games in English, in Portuguese, in Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Just to name a few titles for the sake of time, Warrior Nun, Queen of the South, Red Brazil, Archer, The Batman, Fast Five, and 24. Like, trust me. This dude has been in a lot. Zach Santiago as Prince Henry. Zach Santiago has been in a little bit of everything with roles on The X-Files, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, Shut Eye, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, The Assistance, The L Word, and The Crow, Stairway to Heaven. Listen, I don't care whether you love Cora or you hate her to her core. We have two of the most perfectly cast actors playing her. First up, Rose McGowan. Whether you're an old lady like me who knows her from way back from Encino Man or the Greg Araki nightmare fuel-induced doom generation, or you know her from Scream, Jawbreaker, Charmed, and Planet Terror, McGowan has proven herself to be a force to reckon with time and time again. She's like now a musician and shit, so good for her. Like making performance art and being weird. I like good that. Good for her. Good for her. Good for her. Last but certainly never least, Barbara Hershey. Born and raised in Hollywood, California, award-winning actor Barbara Hershey has been acting since the mid-1960s with roles up and down genres. Notable titles include The Entity, Beaches, The Right Stuff, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Last Temptation of Christ, Swing Kids, The Portrait of a Lady, Chicago Hope, Black Swan, The X-Files, and Paradise Lost. Let's give a woo for Barbara Hershey. We'll miss you, Cora. We'll miss you, Queen. You're terrible, but we love you for being terrible. And I miss you, you mad bitch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's time to spin the timeline into gold with Once Upon a Timeline. Oh, boy. <laughs> In this episode, we are introduced to a much younger Cora. 
Timeline-wise, we can place it after a lot of the Rumpelstiltskin backstory ones we've seen, since he's already the Dark One, he's already lost Bay, he already has his future vision, etc. And it would also take place after Season 1, Episode 5, That's Still a Small Voice, since that one gave us child Geppetto, and here we have Korra as a young woman. So kind of comparing those ages there. From the episodes we've seen so far, the one that would most closely follow this one would actually be the previous episode, Season 2, Episode 15, The Queen is Dead. As there, we see an older Korra finally taking her revenge against Queen Ava for more than just being tripped, but that's a story for future episodes. Now it's time for Share and Tell, our new segment where each narrator shares something they're loving this week. So for me, it was dance lessons with Lynn because we are doing our dance lessons for the wedding. Yeah, it was going to be my thing too because, yeah, we started our dance lessons for our wedding first dance and it's actually really fun. What about you, Chell? My favorite thing is that I got to see you two over the weekend. Yay! Yay. And I got to finally cook a meal for you. It was very good. Good. Um, And I ate three delicious chocolate chip scones baked by our lovely friend, Alyssa. You love those scones. Dude. Dude. I could have eaten the whole thing. I really could have. I need to grab her recipe. Oh, she gave it to me. I can send it to you. Yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that right now. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Emma, David, and Mr. Gold must protect Mary Margaret against Regina, who is out for revenge. And Henry, fed up with all of the feuding, devises a plan to put an end to magic. Meanwhile, in Storybrooke of the Past, Regina discovers that a father and son have somehow found their way into her allegedly undetectable town as she and the fairy tale characters deal with the effects of the newly cast curse. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is there are no morals, only murder and murderous hornballs. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. It's always spend- something. It's always something <laughs> Chell doesn't know. Why? <laughs> That's I know what lots I'm here of for. I'm I here. Lots of things. I'm here with my dark I knowledge. I, it's, it's I don't know anything about this kind of music. One week since you looked at me, and I said, "I'm sorry." Oh, honey. Five days since honey. the afternoon. Honey. Then I come back and then we. Honey. I used to have the song memorized. Honey. That was in middle school. <laughs>